broadcasting live from the Beef Station Deep Space Probe as we rocket through the stars from a place beyond space and time. Here we are again. I'm Oscar. Andrew. We're back, boy. Yeah, we're we back. Are. Yeah, it's been a little while. It's been a little while. <laughs> I also, I just want to say, Deep Space Anal Probe. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to say that every time. We're back in fine form, baby. <laughs> oh, you yeah. miss us? Yeah, you Don't did. call it I a comeback. We've been here for years. <laughs> no, really, we slipped into a wormhole. For us, no time has passed at all. Yeah, we're we're just recording from the last session, which is fucking insane, because in that period of zero time, we also managed to watch some movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I managed to watch a fuckload of movies. Yeah, so we took last week off because... I mean, we were both fucking busy, and we thought maybe we... I was on the ground, baby. I was doing some grassroots movie action. Yeah, we thought we'd be able to do a bit of a little uh, outside broadcast, a little spacewalk action for you by getting... We we had had this whole plan. We gave Andrew, like, a little portable mic and, like, a Skype setup that we had all sorted. I was was down in uh, in Melbourne, the big big lights, so... Coincidentally, at the time that the Melbourne International Film Festival was happening. Literally coincidentally, yes, but... Is there anything special about the film, the, the Melbourne International Film Festival. You call it the myth, actually. <laughs> I'm not, it's, they call it, everyone just says like, oh yeah, the myth. Like very seriously. Like the, <laughs> it's not a myth, you man, it's real. saying I've the been word there. myth? Yours is way better. Yeah, no, is there anything special about it? Um, yes, yeah, so, so like we have film festivals here. one of the biggest here. film festivals in Australia. Right. So is it just that they get a whole bunch of films that we don't get? In yeah. Canberra, yes, or maybe yeah. like that might be the only time you get to go see them. Yeah, well, the, yeah, exactly. It's pretty much that. Because um, I'm sure there's a lot of like US films, for example, that don't get distribution in Australia for fucking ages. Maybe indie films yes. that can't afford to get sent here. So that's one of those sort of festivals where you might be able to see these independent kind of films, all the sorts of films that so the people they, who made them won't be able to afford to send here. They had uh, literally hundreds of titles. Holy at shit! This thing. So, so was it like so it was like spread across all these fucking cinemas? Yeah, everywhere. it runs from like the second of August to like the fucking nineteenth. Um, okay, right. Maybe even longer than the 19th. Maybe it's like the 20th. It runs for like a maybe month. even longer than two weeks. Yeah. Well, no, because I left on the 20th, and I think the yeah. session's going beyond that. Anyway, um, you have some problems with the object permanence there. Then. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm just reading lists. Uh, not great with reading lists. So um, it, it, they, they it runs for ages, and like some sessions are they run like three or four times, but a lot of them only run once, and you right. just catch it or not. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so yeah, there's some really like. Uh, you know, without meaning to sound like exclusive sessions that you yeah. can, that you really have to get in, and it's so fucking competitive because everyone in Melbourne that is remotely interested in going to any kind of international film festival, and you know the types of people that I'm talking about when I yeah, say yeah. that, um, will genuinely kill each other to get into a session. <laughs> so I imagine there were some sessions you went to that were like packed. What was like what were I the busiest, most exciting, biggest hype sessions you went minutes to? Early Holy to shit! For like what? A, to not get a ticket in the front row for what? For which films? So, which which kinds of films were the really the busy ones them. that were the big buzz ones? So there were a couple. I the, went to see one. I'll talk about it a little later. Um, yeah, sure. I won't. Uh, it's a good enough thing that I want to do. Like, a, a, we're gonna a, a dedicate. I think you said you're gonna, we're gonna prep a whole bit. We might do that next episode. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Okay, cool. um, I'm happy to talk about but, some of the ones that weren't uh, quite as big. Yeah. But for one of the bigger sessions, um, which I'll talk about later, but it was a film called Climax. Um, it won some shit at Cannes. Right. Can. 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 <laughs> That's like... <laughs> like how a juice says, like, orange drink. It's like award winner at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. This one at Ken. Uh, they actually just got three people and a Jack Russell to watch it up in far north Queensland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Um, no, it it won it won an a, an unnamed award at Cannes. I I didn't bother to check in on it, um, but I'm assuming it, it was the, fuck, the most the fucked up thing you've ever seen award at Cannes. Um, but yeah, so that one was packed. Um, and uh, and I I even had someone tell me 
who who had seen the earlier session yeah. go early because like people want to see this. So I showed up literally forty minutes early. Um, I was like fifth in the queue. So there were people there that were there for a movie earlier than forty minutes early, and by the time. Um, the actual session time started, people were queuing up around a Melbourne block. So mm-hmm. you've got to get there early if you want to see that's not like literally in the front row right. of the fucking movie. My next question was going to be, were there any like really weird little films that you saw where like no one was going to see it and it was good anyway? Or um, So I went to uh, one of the ones that I, I, I went to. So they ran a, a couple of sessions that were like big aggregated sessions of Australian and New Zealand short films. They were right. called the Accelerator Sessions because okay. they're accelerating those films into the film industry. I don't get it. Can you um, explain it again? Well, it could be all about <laughs> motorbikes. <laughs> you, you, you see the world's fastest Indian on repeat yeah, every but, 20 minutes. About a 10 minute cut of it <laughs> six times. That's a, by the way, fucking great movie. World's that fastest is Indian. Movie, yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, it went by pretty quickly though. That was um, episode thirteen A of Beef Station. <laughs> <laughs> Carrying straight on from the first part. All you people um, are requesting the world's fastest Indian. Leave it alone. We've done it. <laughs> yeah, we've covered it all right, <laughs> in its entirety. So the accelerator sessions were um, there what, was some weird shit in there, but like less popular. Yeah, not not yeah, not as popular. But actually, okay. still, there was no session I went to where it was like a ghost town. Um, you know, like I've been to see some film festival stuff in Canberra where there's like 12 people in the cinema. Yeah. None of these were like that. They were, it was all like you had to get there early. People wanted seats, you know, like you would have to actually, I went to see a documentary called Eating Animals, which was, um, Natalie Portman was involved in the production and she did the narration. Yeah, yeah. And, um, that was a really excellent thing. Any, uh, anyone, um, yeah, check out Eating Animals, the documentary is really, really, really So in, in the same way as like a lot of people, like when... Someone goes to tell me to watch a film about eating animals. It feels like the sort of film that's going to be preaching to the converted because everyone that goes to go see it. Is, is it worth seeing? That is a huge problem with this. It is worth seeing. And one of the main it inherently things, one sounds of the main like things it's going to be judgy. One, one of the main things that this one does differently is it explores why, I mean, hence the title, it explores yeah. why people do eat animals. Right. And um, what the issues with that are uh, in in terms of it takes a really anti-industrialist perspective. Yeah. So and there's a bit of an agenda like, that's clear when you're watching it or... The agenda is telling people. Uh, the agenda is trying to make people aware of what they're doing, sure. not trying to tell people not to. Right. It's okay. just saying a lot of. Here's what's um, happening. If you're okay with this, then a, whatever. Like a lot of battery farming and industrial farming in this. In this, it, this was states focused, but this is true globally. Um, a lot of farming is really opaque, and you actually don't know what goes on inside the barns yeah. and houses and whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's horrible shit. I think like, there's I'm a quote sure that, that I'll... everybody knows that it, yeah. it's that yeah. If if people could see inside of abattoirs, like it's yeah. Paul McCartney, right? Linda oh, McCartney. Linda McCartney. Sorry, yeah. of course, she's got the line of Vedra food. Paul McCartney um, loves Islam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they broke up. Um, oh. <laughs> <No. so, laughs> This was exploring how, basically, as uh, I bloody loved it from an anti- anti-capitalist. <laughs> this was exploring from an anti-capitalist perspective. Juicy film you could really sink your teeth into, was it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah, juicy plant-based production that you could really, uh, really get it, get behind. But um, it just really like looked into um, how fucked up the things that the industry is doing to try and suppress any opposition to it. Um, yeah. Which, which is like really, I think, for a lot of especially young people at the moment. Um, really cathartic to listen to because you know that these mega corporations are just getting away with the worst shit in the world <laughs> and you know what they're doing but it's nice to have a, a like high production documentary that really focuses on that yeah and I think yeah part of the problem with especially with this vegetarianism shit is yeah. it does you, you like most of the people in that theater were probably vegetarians or vegans right um, yeah but this is a movie that doesn't alienate people who do eat meat right. one of the things that it focuses on is like the the 
farmers before huge farms and like the, the giant agricultural industry. Yeah. And it's saying this was fine. And actually a lot of these people are really in touch with what they're doing. They're, they're deeply saddened by the fact that these animals have to be It's when killed. you have to ramp it up into like a mass scale. Yeah. That and it they're, they're like, problem, d- yeah. you know, genetically mutating these things into like barely the creatures that they once were like chickens that can't walk because they, <laughs> they breed chickens to have chickens that can like fucking walk through walls. No, and... I won't go into it. Oh no, it's horrible <laughs> shit, man. Like they breed them so they can't walk and they only put on fat and they have a oh. lifespan of like six weeks. And so you, the chicken that you're eating is like, the, yeah, it's, and, and but it doesn't, it, it's not saying you're in the wrong for eating meat. It's saying those companies are in the wrong for the way that they're going about doing that and what they're doing to try and bury anyone that has any opposition to it. So Once yeah, again, you're listening really to the Certified Organic Beef Station. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> Thanks yeah, for joining yeah. us. I got some things to say about beef, mate. But, no. Um, but, uh, We've already committed to our highly sa- expensive logo, dude. Saddeningly. Yeah. <laughs> the vegetarian true. Um, <laughs> saddeningly, that was probably the, the lightest session. But I also, it right. had already shown a bunch of times and I was going to a one in, late in its run. So hopefully it was just attributable to yeah. that. I also then went and ate at a vegan restaurant afterwards <laughs> and met some friends. So yeah, Right. Well, stay tuned next week for our exclusive coverage of the Melbourne International Film Festival. It won't be like that, I promise. <laughs> yeah. I won't. Why not about my agenda? No, I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately looking forward to seeing it. I don't really know much about many of the films yeah, that are yeah, there. Sure. I'm so sure that I probably missed out on a lot of them. Genuinely, we don't always have to talk about stuff that we have watched this week. And I yeah. just want to say, um, there was another film that I watched called Before the Flood, which Leonardo DiCaprio was heavily involved yeah, in. Yeah, so that's like a climate the, change documentary. Yeah, that's so the, that was We mentioned UN, that briefly a, last week. In the painting because of the triptych, right? I, I looked yeah. this up. I looked this up, right? It is the so same guy. So you're right. right. It's the same guy, yeah. Hieronymus Bosch, that made this like three-part panels painting that sort of opens yeah, out like a cupboard. Pony. All he fucking does is paint triptychs. And they're both called, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, they're both called like fucking uh, the final day of judgment or whatever. They're both, they both have the same title. And one is like really good and famous and it's in some big museum in, I don't know, fucking Paris or whatever. And that's the one Leonardo da Vinci's. And like the shitty, bedroom. almost like draft oh. one that they think is Hieronymus Bosch but might be some other dude. Like it's, it's, they're not even sure it's oh, him. Oh, right. Is the one that's in Bruges. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. cool. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so if you, if you even look that. at them, they look really similar. So it looks like, I mean, my theory, not knowing what the fuck <laughs> I'm talking about. As a renaissance it's like expert. Maybe one's a draft, one's like the good one. But the point well, is it's like. It's probably someone looking at him and being like, I can fucking do that. Yeah, exactly. Having, having a go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the reason we're talking once again on this podcast about Renaissance paintings is because um, Before the Flood, as I mentioned, is, is also yeah. great. And as a climate change documentary, it also focuses on the impact that uh, giant agricultural industry has. Yeah. Two very good films. You should go and see them both. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, Even well, if you eat meat, it won't. it's not a horrible experience, but it, it might do some work on... on um, convincing you of the alternatives. I think it's anyway. just an interesting issue to be covering anyway because oh, and it really ties into the climate change. As a consumer, thing. like, yeah. do your fucking job and learn. <laughs> yeah. You know? Really. Fuck you. Fuck all yeah, of you. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. Fuck all consumers. <laughs> <laughs> myself, oh. myself included. All right, so what did we actually watch this week? So I'll talk more about the film festival stuff at yeah, some that's other okay. point. I saw... <laughs> to, uh, so to, to be totally it. transparent, <laughs> Andrew said he had a lot of great notes I written did. out that we were going to cover this week. And, pages and pages he just fucking left them at home. Yep. So... <laughs> I yeah. Um let's do a quick uh oh this will segue. Let's yeah. do a quick fashion report. Fashion report. What, you, what are you wearing? Fashion boy? report. <laughs> I am wearing my work uniform in its entirety, which consists of like my tradey <laughs> steel cap boots, filthy jeans, oh, yeah. and a work shirt, covered up with my classy little cardigan. 
looks beaut. Thanks, boy. Um, contrastingly, and I'll reveal now the reason why I'm asking is because <laughs> I look like a million dollars. Andrew is literally wearing a suit. I am wearing a full suit, and it looks great. The reason I'm wearing a suit... Not because he had any, any formal occasion to attend today. I had a job interview today, and that's also the reason why I forgot my fucking notes, <laughs> so get off my back. That's how it's segued. You better not be okay. interviewing for a different podcast, you piece of shit. <laughs> right. At a pod interview. I'm not uh, a, a job interview. I'm not afraid to take Beef Station solo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. You're nothing without me. Um, oh, that's so, so true. Uh, yeah, I saw 10 movies because I had this... Um, Holy shit! Yeah, you buy a mini pass and it's like 160 bucks and you can get into 10 sessions of any yeah. movie. So I did that. I saw 10 or 9 movies. Yeah. And um and so like I'll I'll tell you about those later in yeah. a different episode. Go around next week or whenever the fuck Andrew feels like committing to the podcast enough to bring yeah, any form of. Whenever I bring my notes, do yeah. any prep, um, think about it ahead of an hour before, <laughs> am not late, all of the above. All of the above. Um, when all of those coalesce into some beautiful singularity of a podcast episode, that's when I'll tell you about all the myth shit. Welcome to Myth Shit Episode Thirteen. <laughs> Um, speaking of the stars miraculously aligning, this week we're covering brand new Mission Impossible film, Mission Impossible Fallout, which is what, like Mission Impossible 6 or 7? Uh, 6. 6, there you go. And we thought, as as mentioned previously, I had never seen a Mission Impossible mm. film, and so to sort of get me up to scratch, we figured that I should probably watch all five films leading up to Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> and then... Immediately thought, you know what? Fuck that. And so I've just watched Mission Impossible 1. So I've got one, a giant 20-year gap, (laughs) and then this one. Six. (laughs) Which I honestly thought to be really interesting. So we went to see Mission Impossible Fallout, the new one, first. Yep. And so that's well, the first time you I've... went to see it first. I had already seen yeah, okay, sorry, several yeah. missions. So you, you've seen films. you've seen a whole bunch of other ones. Yep. I had never seen any of the other ones. So I went to see Mission Impossible Fallout first. It was going in dry. And then just the other day, I watched Mission Impossible One. Um, and so already, I felt kind of skeptical. About whether or how much enjoyment I'd get out of it, um, watching the sixth Mission Impossible film without having seen any of the other ones. But mm. honestly, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, did you like yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Oh also, man! Just going back to your little uh, your little riff, your little riff earlier about how funny it would be to um, to in preparation for a sixth movie watch the five prequels. Yeah, um, imagine that. Yeah, got a little surprise for you, mate. <laughs> As you might know, I had some uh, time off recently. <laughs> And so, uh, and so, in preparation for this episode, I watched every Mission Impossible movie. Are you serious? <laughs> While I was down in Melbourne, I watched every oh, every shit. single one. I was serious. Like, fuck! Imagine yep. if you, man, no. you would have. That would have actually been expensive. In roughly the last fortnight, <laughs> I would estimate I've consumed fourteen hours of, of, of Mission Impossible related Holy material. Holy fuck! Yeah, man. That's not worth it. I can it's tell you right now it's not worth it. Oh, it's a good thing what? you brought your notes. Yeah. You should legitimately have gone to get them. <laughs> I know, I know. I was going to say, like, man, why don't you just go back and get uh, them? I, I actually oh. think that I wasn't that committed. I didn't write, like, specific notes about all of them. Um, but I did watch them all. So Fuck. I can give you... I won't spend too much time on it because I know that you've not <laughs> seen any of them. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. But I will all give right. a brief intermediate rundown of... Uh, of the other four that you've had nothing to do with. <laughs> All right, so should we start with the first in one between. then? Let's start with the first okay. one, some common so ground. The first one came out in 1996. Yes. Tom Cruise That's looks... correct, based on me being an expert of Mission Impossible. <laughs> Thanks. I'll just, if you could just verify every single piece of information that I spit out. As I usually do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
1996. Tom Cruise looks actually in Britain. It was released in 1997. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Carry on. <laughs> I'm gonna need a good bit of time without you giving me a yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> he looks so young. Right? Yeah, and he has the worst haircut in the 90s. <laughs> oh yeah. It's it's so bad. It's like a buzz cut meets a bowl cut I was and is say, neither. It looks like someone's gelled up a it's bowl fucked. cut. If you want a fucked 90s experience, Mission Impossible's not a bad place to that start. That was actually what they were going to call it, his fucked 90s experience. Fucked 90s experience, yeah. yeah. Um, We've got this tech and we don't know what to do with it, the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, to be honest, I don't, I don't really remember the plot that much. And I think that was because after watching Mission Impossible 6 and having seen... I mean, I think it's a fair comparison. So Mission Impossible to com- 6 is Mission Impossible Fallout, by the way. They the don't, new one. Yeah. They lose, so they go one, two, three, then they lose the numbering. The benefit to you having watched all six Mission Impossible movies isn't your familiarity with their numbering scheme. <laughs> no, but it, in case in case any uh, listeners who also have not seen these are yeah. getting confused yet, the new one is six, it's Fallout. Yeah, okay, so. great. So um, coming from watching the sixth one, which is really action-packed and so fast-paced, and you know how a lot of the, the newer James Bond movies, I feel like that's a fair comparison, the James Bond yeah, movies. actually, yeah, good. Have yeah. quite a complex little plot, kind of like the Jason the Jason Bond Bond movies have a really, <laughs> a really twisty, turny plot that kind of makes yeah. you feel smart watching it. I feel like coming from that, sure. well, you know what I mean? It's kind of clever, and so it's like, obviously, yeah. obviously it's not, because I feel like so, these movies make half so, a billion dollars. When, when they pull it off, it's mm. yes, but when yeah. it's so implausible that it's like, oh, fuck you, or, then I mean, not it's the sort of but movie yeah. where, like, you yeah, know, yeah, these yeah. movies have, like, three twists, yeah. and all these different parts to it, and you follow it, and you're like, yeah, this is, this is like, being a spy. Yeah. I could plan an international exactly. sub-operation. Kind yeah. of like how Ocean's Eleven feels complex. Yes. It feels yeah, complicated, yeah, yeah. right? I get what you mean. By comparison, mission the first Mission Impossible movie, I found kind of boring. Yeah. And I thought, so the, the premise behind Mission Impossible, the first, is, he's been, he's been trying to remember, Tom Cruise is framed so as this. So it starts this, off mid-heist. And it fucks up. Yeah. And Tom Cruise is sort of the only one to come out alive. Yeah. I think everyone else dies. I think that's the point. He's the he's yeah, sole right. survivor of a mission gone wrong. And so the CIA or whoever his fucking higher-ups... Who the fuck... I'm not... Okay, we're just, not going to try and list any of the government agencies or fake government agencies are involved in this because they use bullshit three-letter acronyms yeah. and they're all indistinguishable. It's like... Yeah, exactly. There's the Mission Impossible Force. Yeah, I think so, it's literally <laughs> Mission Impossible Force. So or, or Tom Cruise is... Other than that, it's the CIA, yeah. FBI, yeah. DEA, so, whatever the fuck. So the leaders at Impossible Squad decide that Tom Cruise is probably a double agent. Impossible Squad is an equally dumb name as what it actually is, by the way. It's something <laughs> fucked. It's so Dang stupid. Whatever Carry it is. On. They decide that Tom Cruise is a double agent. They're like, well, you're the only one that survived. It fucked up. So clearly you're a double agent and they're out to get him. Yep. And so to clear his name, the whole film is Tom Cruise trying to perform this heist in this like ultra-secure CIA vault Yeah. for... Reasons that I'm not entirely sure. So they've sure got a so someone has the knock list, which is the uh, a list of like aliases and the secret yeah. agents' real names all around the world. Yeah. So like so if that list they gets could out, they reveal then all the actual identities. Of pe- secret yeah, agents. people are going to know which terrorists are actually CIA agents yeah. and whatever. So so in order to unlock the knock list, they need to steal the encryption, and the encryption is what's in the CIA vault. So yeah. that's what they're. Bra- it's in the right. Pentagon, actually. I think whatever it is, whatever Tom Cruise has to do this. So they've this, got to steal that to use the thing that they have. This highly highly improbable, <laughs> very difficult. And of course, mission. This is the <laughs> in order in order to find this list and clear his name. So that so that's the premise of the film. And I just felt like the setup to get to the point where 
Tom Cruise is like, right, now I have to carry out this heist to clear my name. Felt like an hour. Like, it was so long. Like, whereas... It could be fucking close to that. In, like, Ocean's Eleven, for example, we talked about how good it is that it cuts to the actual heist, which is the bit you want to see yeah. so quickly. And we sort of praised it for that. Yeah. And a lot of sort of James Bond movies where, like, you might get before the credits, there's a quick little opening sequence that's unrelated, mm. and then it cuts to the actual mission. I felt like Mission Impossible, this, this first one... It just took so long well, to get one, to the actual impossible mission. And then the mission itself, thing. the bit where they get into the heist with the, with the famous yeah. scene itself, where he... not impossible at all. He did it! They did it! Was it. bullshit! <laughs> but, you know, the famous scene with him hanging from the wires yeah, and the lasers... And for and the those computer. of you who don't know what we're talking about, it's maybe the most iconic scene in cinema it goes history. That bit goes for, like, ten minutes. I'm pretty minutes. sure Shrek, at some point, the Shrek series has, like, <laughs> yeah, shouted probably, yeah, out yeah, yeah. this fucking series. But the like, point is, that bit goes for ten minutes. Yeah. Which I was really disappointed. But by. how long is it going to go for? Like, how much longer can they draw out Tom Cruise catching a sweat bead? Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. That it's, alone takes up like 20 seconds. It sucks. It sucks that this film is based on real life events. So they have to remain faithful <laughs> to those events at all points in, in time. real time. No, it's fucking made up. <laughs> Make up a longer heist. It's the Pentagon. And they're like, oh, we're yeah. just going to fucking crawl through the duct and then we're done. They did skim over a lot of like how. I, I did yeah. notice at one point. Like they were like, we've got to break into the Pentagon. I looked down at my phone. I looked up and they were in the Pentagon, in the duct. I'm like, fuck, what? Uh, you looked at your phone for quite a while. <laughs> but but, um, but they're basically like, right, we'll set off a smoke alarm somewhere and yeah. then we'll dress up as firefighters and then we'll run in and no one will ask any more questions. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that the fucking Pentagon in Washington has yeah. like a very specific <laughs> firefighter team that they call for whenever they have a fire and they don't get to go through the security barriers without like six levels of security check first because if I know anything it's a bureaucratic security would rather people burn alive (laughs) than let anyone uncheck through a security gate so there's no fucking way but another interesting thing about this film is it was pre-9-11 and that makes a huge difference and actually one interesting thing that that is really interesting yeah is that this this these films and I'll I'll, I'll delve a little more into this when I go through the rest of the series but um (laughs) Two of these films, so Impossible was 96, and then Impossible 2 was 2000, oh, and wow. then Impossible 3 was 2006. So these right. film, this film series spans like several periods of political turmoil. They yeah. span several, they, they cross 9-11. They, they, it, it's really fucking interesting. And reflects seeing, all the different political changes. Yeah, and it does. Something it's that so I think is really interesting about all action movies before wow. sort of 1990, <laughs> okay. right? is that almost every single big, famous, iconic action movie, like even this first Mission Impossible movie, um, uh, Die Hard, yeah, yeah. some early James Bond films, yeah. all of those are really sort of deeply rooted in Cold War politics. Yeah, 100%. And so you almost... The start of this, uh, start of Mission Impossible 1 is very fucking Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah, exactly. Like, but, sub covert agent Cold War shit. But yeah. it means that like people our age are sort of vaguely familiar with just the idea that America and Russia were kind of politically... Not not exactly allies, but kind of against each other. I reckon in 15 years' time, people are going to go back and watch all these old action movies and be like, "What the fuck's with all these Russians?" But Russians, oh, oh, you know what I mean? Like, it's like it's it's not just like Russians. Maybe not post 2016. Yeah, like (laughs) Russians. But I see what you mean. It was a nice window where they could get away with it. Yeah, yeah. My point is that like Russians were the bad guys in every movie for a good 30 years in all these action movies. All these Eastern Europeans, and you'd have these kind of. Movies that Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy were inspired by that are sort of really heavily Tinker Tailor Soldier inspired by <laughs> Yeah. Fuck really, yeah. Fuck yeah. Really heavily 
uh, rooted in all this Russian-American Cold War politics mm. that I don't think would make very much sense to modern audiences in the way that there's a lot of assumed knowledge. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Yeah, I think uh, look, really I agree. interesting. Because they're these films that are made to be mainstream action movies back in the yeah, day. Yeah, consumable by like anyone. That yeah. have this, what is now comparatively quite complex assumed knowledge about politics and mm. the dynamics between different nationalities and all that. Yeah, and it's interesting because we were born post-Cold War. Yeah, like early 90s. But we still do have that heuristic cue of like, oh, you know, dude in black leather speaking Russian, oh, he's yeah. an a enemy of well, the state. Right? It makes me think that in 30 years, maybe are people going to be like wondering or, you know... Are younger people going to be wondering why it is that a lot of our films have this fascination with the Middle East and with Fucking like absolute Isla- well, Islamism? Yeah, I, I can't tell if that's going to be over in fifteen years' time, but yeah, you know what um, it, you know what I mean there. But I yeah, absolutely, it's, it's really yeah, interesting that in the was... same day, like we've had like we had like action modern action movies now that have a bit of an assumed knowledge yeah. about um, the the perceived villainy of. Muslim terrorists and that kind of thing. Oh, it's hugely and, Islamophobic. Yeah, and like middle, um, even when it's portrayed in a way that might be perceived as more accurately, just this fascination that we have with the yeah, Middle East and it, with it's, Islam. That, and that is always like that's the fucking. Um, the Middle East is is the the modern day's like uh, heart of darkness. It's like when you you're fucking yeah. going into enemy territory. That's another great example. You either example. have to like fucking go yeah. native or like yeah, it's like Vietnam yeah. films. That's another yeah, yeah that's absolutely. a great. So for example, when, for exa- for example, when we were researching the Apocalypse Now episode, we did we had to sort of research why the Vietnam War even was really happening. Yeah, and we had to figure out right. So you know, North Vietnam was communist and South Vietnam was allied with the Americans so when they talk about this in the film that's why and yeah. when they talk about this these events everyone would have known that back then in the same way as everyone knows 9-11 now yeah. I imagine well, but now we had to fucking look it up yeah. so it's like this film that was intentionally I mean that's a be- not necessarily the best example but these films that were initially inten- in- intended to be like huge popular mainstream films are now mm. almost like a bit smarter and feel a bit more technical just because you have to have this like this understanding of what would have been common knowledge 40 years ago. Yeah, and it's funny too. Like, imagine watching Sicario 2 in 20 years' time. Yeah, because, like, I don't so think it's going to make as much sense. Exactly. You're watching, no, it won't, because you're watching a movie about Mexican-American relations, and you're yeah. like, why the fuck are they smuggling in? Who's ISIS? Yeah. Like, why the, the, the ISIS were only around for like five years, and they're, they're not doing very well. I think so that's so probably fucking be cool. Pretty soon. Just that so idea like, that there's this like assumed knowledge that you, when you make a film, it's this like cultural shorthand. Oh, they're a product of, of their culture, absolutely. Yeah. And it's really interesting, really fucking interesting for a, a, a child of the 90s like myself to see how a film that starts being made in, or a series that starts being made in 96 looks 22 years later when they all have to have a sort of similar premise. It's fucking yeah, interesting. Exactly. How does the technology look? Who are the bad guys? How does America look? Techno- what is fucking going on an airplane in yeah. a mission? Because, you know, well, in like the Bourne films and shit, in these kind of movies, they always like go through airports. It's like yeah. going through an airport in 96 <laughs> was a different human easy, experience yeah. to going through an airport now. This dude's, and you th- could just like get a, away with shit. There's like then. a cool bit in the film where there's a guy on an, on the airplane within the first sort of 10 minutes of the first Mission Impossible movie. Like he watches his mission videotape, like your mission, dude, choose to accept it on the video ta- on this little videotape on his airplane seat. And then the videotape like self destructs and starts smoking and to get rid of that smoke he lights up a cigarette and blows the cigarette yeah which smoke. is so fucking funny yeah <laughs> and also like I As flew like business class in 2001 and right, we man. had those 
<laughs> and he hasn't stopped talking about yeah, it since. Right. I've never forgotten. <laughs> and anytime I fly economy, it feels like I'm downgrading myself as a human. So, no, but I flew business class in 2001. We had those screens. So it was so funny yeah. seeing, like, right, it was only like five years later, you know, that, like that the technology that where they were like, this is a top level government agent that's above the pay grade of like yeah. what, this, what pay grades are listed on paper <laughs> has like a flip up screen from his seat. That's yeah. funny shit. Yeah. Well, see, I great. think maybe now that you've reminded me, maybe I think that's why I was probably bored within the first four. Thanks. <laughs> within the first, so I said the first 45 minutes it almost takes before Tom Cruise like starts the actual heist mission that he needs yep. to do. Um, a lot of that is spent showing off this flashy tech and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So there's a lot of like... Which um, back then... Would have been would impressive. Have been exactly. Amazing. So yeah. like the flight attendant comes around and says, would you like to watch a movie? And there's like a tray of video cassettes. And you get video to, cassettes. You get to pick Have out a little the think about yeah. that in your so, millennial brain. And so it's, sh- it's like really showing off how fucking high oh, tech But it they're is. not like tapes. They're like small cassettes. Yeah, I don't know the term for it, but like, yeah, little ones. Um, and you, and you get to like, and so you get to like pick out your movie off this tray of video cassettes and put it into the like tape player on the side of your seat, and the screen pops up. Basically, a Walkman that you sit on. And like, I was watching it, being like, "Well, fucking, I get that this is cool, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm bored out of my skull." Yeah. And yeah. so, like, yeah. so like, they're showing off their gadgets before the heist, and the guy's like, "Would you believe there's a camera hidden right here in these glasses?" Oh fuck! And then the these glasses? giant buddy yeah. Holly fucking plastic <laughs> glasses. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I would assume there's like, a glass yeah. fucking camera inside <laughs> those things. Like, yeah, because we've seen Google Glass where the point is like you can't yeah, yeah. see that someone's wearing glasses. Yeah, and it's exactly. like, all right, yeah. Well, <laughs> of course, it's like, like it looks someone like comes the... in and it's like, hey, Groucho Marx, you yeah, got any like... fucking audio-visual equipment <laughs> in your glasses there? Yeah, exactly. Like, you might as well have had a giant fucking cable coming off the <laughs> middle a, of the glasses. Just a GoPro on your forehead. <laughs> Like, it's like that. So you're like a GoPro, uh, yeah. like a but, GoPro in this movie would have been fucking magic. Yeah. So there's a lot of shots in this movie that are all point like POV shots. Did you notice that? Yeah, because they're is from it, the glasses. Yeah, right. Right. But like, it's there's a lot of weird shots in Mission, mm. the first Mission Impossible, which I was really surprised by. And there's a lot of like point of view so shots, which I've very, never seen in an action movie before. In, in in addition to the point of view shots, it just feels very fucking nineties to watch. Yeah. Really? Do I do I go back? Because I've watched like the opening credits had like oh, yeah. all these like five different cuts in one second and yeah. all these X ray filter effects. Because it's this, like. like Lola Run style music with the fast drums and the yeah, um, it's like German rock electronica. <laughs> yeah, Mission Impossible is nineties as fuck. fuck. It's so fucking nineties. They like, go all into of this, the like, CGI, like, all of the movies. Like they go into like the secret government facility that's expensive, and yeah. they have this giant computer monitor, and it's a giant CRT yeah. computer monitor. <laughs> it's television. as big as like the biggest microwave you've ever seen. Oh <laughs> fuck, it's so good. And people would have been like, "Wow, look at that!" Yeah, it's so good. People would have been like, it, uh, "That'd be so it expensive." Looks like the future. <laughs> That'd cost at least eighty dollars. <laughs> Which adjusted for inflation little, is two point six million dollars. Yeah, little joke about inflation rates there for you guys, but yeah. So I mean, I was kind of let down by the first Mission Impossible movie, yeah, and I really think that as we were saying that, like some of these films have a lot of political kind of things that are a product of their time. I really think that these films are probably made to wow and impress audiences yeah. in their time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's hard. It's hard for a film because these films chronically rely on, and I'm yeah. going to say like all action espionage style films chronically rely on the yeah. technology of the era. And when you've got such a fucking rapidly changing landscape, 
it's you, you cannot have your film last more than yeah. a few years well, before. It looks fucking ridiculous. Maybe that'll be interesting to see how modern kind of action movies age as like classic action movies. Because, yeah. for example, Die Hard, I think, doesn't really rely too much on like, look at this amazing tech. It's just this no, fucking guy. Yeah, exactly. It's and so and that cars. ages pretty well. Yeah. I would be interested to see how, for example, like a modern action movie I'm not classic. Sure Die Hard age as well. I'd need to watch it. No, I think it does. Yeah, <laughs> like once, if you've not seen no, it. No, i need to watch it again. <laughs> oh, right, again. Fair enough. i need yeah. to watch it to no. make any judgment. I think compared to Mission Impossible, Die Hard ages fantastically. Yeah, um, okay. By comparison, um, I'd be interested to see how like a modern action classic like Casino Royale or Skyfall, for example. Yeah, right. I think those are probably, I would yeah, go those are good as classics. Bond movies are good comparisons because they yeah. do do that kind of like... Do-do. <laughs> Do-do. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I'd be interested to see how they age in 20 years. Yeah, like, not whether, well. Like, <laughs> like whether we could show our kids in twenty years and well, they'd be just like, as wowed. It, you know, it's going to be like a fucking shoe phone in yeah. Maxwell Smart, where like in in Get Smart, yeah, no, where yeah. that was, um, you know, at the time it was kind of a joke because it was like, look what we can do with technology. But it's yeah. also like, yeah, but that is actually it's it's ridiculous, but it's also very futuristic. I think Whereas that's now it's like, difference. if I wanted a phone that looked like a shoe, I could get one. <laughs> yeah. But why the I, fuck would I do that? I think that specific difference. Is that like I think the technology is so old that you get where they're coming from in terms yeah. of like the shoe phone, and then it's also ridiculous. It's so it's funny, but like yeah. I get you right. I guess you're right that it doesn't have the same value that it would have done. Well, back like then. it's interesting even seeing even comparing within a series. Like so the 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 cutting edge bit of tech that they have in the later Mission Impossible movies yeah. is shit. Like you don't need a, a a pair of glasses with a camera in it. Yeah. You have a fucking contact lens that yeah. is also a camera. Well, you know. Yeah. Even seeing that 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 because uh, you know we've had that. Such a rapid advance of technology in these yeah. movies. So even the even their own series makes their earlier iterations look obsolete and ridiculous and yeah. kind of uh, archaic. So I imagine you would have got a lot of that having watched. It was so fucking the, funny. The progression watching it. I watched of all uh, all five of the earlier movies in yeah. like probably two or three days. So fucking some hell. interesting facts. Let's just let's just do them. Uh, I won't I won't spend too much time on any. Yeah, of let's them. do it. Um, but rapid fire. Okay, so Mission Impossible Two came out in two thousand. Yep. This was directed by John Woo, by the way, famed action director. Okay, Oscar's giving me a blank look, yeah, but no, I don't know what but you're um, that he is a very very big action director. Yeah. Um, born in, uh, grew up in Hong Kong. He did a lot of. He's done a, a shitload of that. Um, like kung fu type stuff. American kung fu. Okay, cool. Movie type shit. Um, so yes, really, really, really influenced by that. Okay. Um, boy, did it show! Because holy fuck, if you the without a doubt the worst Mission Impossible is Mission Impossible Two. Oh really, dude? Why? Get fucking. This is a bit of advice. To I all really of you. didn't like Mission Impossible One. I all, thought it was boring. No, this is worse. Advice to all of you: get fucking wasted and watch Mission <laughs> Impossible Two because it is the funniest fucking movie. I've seen in a very long time, and not because it has any merit. But is, the is, editing is, is fucking ridiculous. Well, Mission Impossible One was just boring. There was no action for a lot of us. So is there a lot of like cheesy kind of action? Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible Two. No. Or what? Mission Impossible Two is ridiculous, implausible bullshit, strung together by extended cuts of Tom Cruise pulling a funny expression <laughs> while rock music plays in the background. <laughs> I feel like I could enjoy that. Oh yeah, it's. I could see merit in that as being I could, entertaining. I could, yeah, but it's entertaining not because it's better. It's entertaining because the Mission Impossible 2 is definitely outside of the valley of shit. It's right on the bad end of of that where <laughs> like it's fucking excellent to we sh- watch. We should grade movies from now on by their altitude in the valley, in the of, valley shit. of shit. Yeah. yeah. Um cuz holy fucking shit it's bad. I'm going to show you a photo of what Tom Cruise looks like in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Very so funny. He went from having the world's worst haircut to having the world's second worst haircut yeah, because Jesus. his hair about quadrupled in length and they did no <laughs> styling on it. Um, it's like a. He looks like he's joined Oasis. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely in that like '90s rock band era, but yeah, it looks fucking terrible. There's a lot of motorbike shit. Um, there's a lot of yeah. chase scenes, and there's also like a, you know, I mean, all of these movies are a bit sort of problematic in their interaction with women, but yeah. it's fucking cheesy. Number three. How does number three okay, do? So number three. Um, I think I remember three, number three coming out. Number three was directed by J.J. Abrams. Oh, wow. Yeah, dude. So this is one of the reasons why I watched all of them Steven was because I was researching them. Right. And they were all directed by like fucking interesting people. So the Steven Spielberg of the modern era in that all of his films are just fine. No, oh, I like J.J. Abrams. Don't be mean. <laughs> but also, yeah. Um, okay, so... Uh, Oh, another thing that's... So, Mission Impossible 2 is absolute dog shit and no one should really ever bother with it. But seriously, watch it if you want a good time because it's fucking hysterical. (laughs) Mission Impossible 3. The first thing I started to notice was like, oh, this series actually really has some people that are highly... highly regarded in the film industry in it. So, one thing... So, Ving Rhames... Um, who people will probably remember as Marcellus Wallace from Fight Club, yeah. is in every Mission Impossible movie. Right. So uh, he's like Tom Cruise's like right hand and type he's guy. He's the tech, he's the hacker dude. Yeah. So there might be, oh, no, yeah, sort of. There's two hacker guys, but yeah, yeah. That one comes in later. Um, so Mission Impossible 2 has no one that you would really know in it other than... Uh, Tom Cruise? <laughs> <laughs> fucking good one, mate. No, other than Thandie Newton, who's done a bunch of um, yeah. other shit. No, no. Who the fuck is uh, Thandie Newton? That, that sounds like so you're I, making up names. Usually I have my laptop and I can have a bunch of things open, but I didn't have it. So Thandie Newton, is a, uh, she plays the, the black bartender character in Westworld. Um, okay. For, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, so she's in Mission You know her Impossible face, but too. not her name. Exactly. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So her name is Thandie Newton. Her name is Thandie Newton. Her name is Thandie Newton. Okay. So Mission Impossible 3 came out in 2006. So this is right when we start to be people. Yeah. Um, and it is directed by J.J. Abrams, as I said. It has in it Philip Seymour Hoffman. Wow. Billy Crudup. Wow. And Simon Pegg comes in as Benji. The tech that guy. early? That early. He's in wow. Mission Impossible 3, which is fucking interesting because in my mind, he was only in like the last two. But he's yeah. been in it since the third one. Um, it also has Eddie Marsan, that guy that think is um, Ray Fiennes, <laughs> but isn't. It has Lawrence Fishburne in it. Mission Impossible <laughs> 3, once again. Who so, also seems like the sort of person that I could very easily convince with Ving Rhames. Yeah, no, they play completely <laughs> different characters. Yeah, um, okay, he plays a, a big, like, high-level uh, CIA, FBI bureaucrat. But anyway, yeah, so directed by J.J. Abrams. Mission Impossible 3 is when the series gets good. Right. So the first one, if you... The first one was a product of its time. The second one was seriously, like, should be in a museum <laughs> for fuck, fucked shit. A museum for bad! A museum for fucked shit that came out of the early 2000s. That is that is the only place that Mission Impossible <laughs> 2 belongs. Seriously, watch it. It was one of the weirdest experiences It'll be that life. and that song, Am I Not because Pretty Enough? It was crazy, man. Like, action scenes would be people kung fu fighting <laughs> and... They were fast as lightning. Everybody was doing it. Nice. We'll never clear that song, so, you know. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. But, um, so, and then, like, weird shots where, like, Tom Cruise was looking straight into the camera and in the background it was just flames and then nothing around him was on fire. It was the weirdest fucking thing, dude. <laughs> That's good. I could not, it was like a hallucinogenic We're experience. We're going to have to drop Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> it was fucking crazy. So, okay, yeah, drop that. But Mission Impossible 3, it starts to get good. Yep, and it also four. introduces, so in, uh, this is, 
maybe so okay we forgot to do it at the top of the episode despite talking about it extensively we'll do mild spoilers uh heavy spoilers for all of the rest of the mission impossible series but mild spoilers for the sixth one yeah that's fallout yeah yeah so i think Um, before if you want to go see it and you care about not knowing any details maybe sort of stop listening once we start talking about six but We'll give you some warning before we get into some really heavy spoilers. Yeah, so, okay, Mission Impossible 3. So, the the only reason I bring it up is because Mission Impossible Fallout has um, his, ca- his, some... his wife yeah. in it, and she's introduced in the third and So, one. some characters that carry on between them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, the next one was Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. This so was Mission four. Impossible 4. Yeah. Uh, this had in it Jeremy Renner came in in this one, and I think he's been in every single one since. He wasn't in the new one. Oh, okay. So, he was in the other, the other yeah. two. Um, and Michael Nyquist, who plays the Russian gang leader yep. um, in John Wick. Okay. He's the guy who passed away, unfortunately. Yep. Um, and yeah, he, he he's really good. Okay. Um, okay. So that was directed by Brad Bird. Now, this is where we started. Oh! The Incredibles do. Was that right? good? Yeah, this was. They're, they're all good, man. Seriously, yeah? other than two, every film in this feels like watching the sixth one. Fuck, I gotta get back and watch them. They're actually all good. Don't bother with one or two anymore. Because you already bothered with one. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, and Um, I have to watch. And so five then feels like it really kind of directly followed on to six. Is that right? Five was Rogue Nation, yes. And this is where. So a a, a bunch of the same cast are in there. But the most important one um, is that Sean Harris's character, Solomon Lane, is introduced. And it's fucking funny because Solomon Lane is a much more interesting character if you've seen. Both five and six. Right. And, and so, you only saw six. Yeah. Where Solomon Lane is a bearded, homeless looking guy <laughs> who is like, according to Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt, the most evil man on the planet. Yeah. yeah. And you have absolutely no context for that. Yeah. Because the premise of the, in- the the entire premise of Mission Impossible 5 Rogue Nation is that Solomon Lane, you know how in the uh, in the latest James Bond films, and I can't remember any characters or anything, yeah. but there's a character that stays ahead of Bond the entire time. And the point is that he's always two steps ahead of his enemies. And so what they've done is in this recent series entry, they've gone, right, what if there was an enemy that he wasn't two steps ahead of? What if there was an enemy that outsmarted him at every turn? Yeah. This Solomon Lane is that character that in the fifth one. Okay, right. So you totally missed that. Yeah. Because you had nothing to do with that <laughs> earlier entry. See? So for, for people is it who just that he's, it, he's not evil, just Tom Cruise is bitter that he's smarter than like, him? <laughs> in, in Mission Impossible 5, it opens with him walking into a record store, walking into the recording booth, and getting the, your mission should you choose to accept it. And then it turns Does out... Does it have that montage in all of them? Every so single that's pretty one. Cool. Yeah. Every single one. Yeah. So he walks into a record store, he talks to the girl, he says a specific code phrase, she says a code phrase back, he says yeah. another code phrase, he walks into the booth, and then that mission plays, but... Halfway through, you realize, oh, it's not a mission. It's a message from Solomon Lane, right. and he's threatening him. Does the CIA and he just have through. plants in every fucking... Yeah, like, literally. They, how, how much... Are they keeping this record store this, girl on a fucking retainer? Yeah, no. So you, know how, like, you know how we talked about, oh, some dudes just come in and be like, if anyone ever asks for this ever, <laughs> and you need to make sure that this is always tenable. Play them anyone, this tape. Yeah, it has to be this tape. If you listen to it, we're going to kill you. Um you know how, like, John Wick, they have that, like, undercover society thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. These are the most... Th- these films go more in on that than any other film series. It's oh, great. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, every single fucking grocery store has, like, a bag of chips where if you pull it, you'll be given <laughs> access to, like, the FBI databases or whatever the fuck. You know what I mean? 
Um, so yeah, the point is, so he listens to that and it turns out, oh, Solomon Lane knows he was going to be there. He knows he was going to yeah. try and accept a mission. So yeah. he's replaced that with his own thing. He threatens him. Then he kills a record store girl in front of him. He gets gassed and he gets kidnapped. So oh. that's the start of Mission Impossible 5. Right. And then what happens is... It sounds like I actually want to watch this. So if yeah, you, yeah. If you can so not spoil I, it. I won't spoil it. But over the course of that, obviously, because the sixth one starts with mich- with um with Solomon Lane in captivity. Yeah. So spoiler alert, the good guy wins. <laughs> um in the fifth one, yeah, it's all about him making or or trying to. He's disavowed by Mission Impossible Force, and um, well, it yep. seems like every fucking movie they question Tom Cruise's loyalty. Fucking Ethan Hunt, CIA is like, no, you're probably a double agent, and every fucking time he has to prove his loyalty. It's, it's like, not no, about just believe him at this point. In, in, in that in was this... one of the points I had about one yeah. and six was that they have very similar plots in which like they're like, oh, we don't think you're working for us anymore, and no. so then he has to prove his loyalty. What again. happens more in the in the intermediate four is that they have um, <laughs> that's going to be my name for the rest of them. Um, <laughs> is that it transitions through? He he's not a rogue agent, or he's sorry, he's not a, a traitor or a double agent. He he's, never is. No, no, no. But uh, but <laughs> right, okay. so what's happening from and the Secretary of Defense, who's in the sixth one as well. Whoever it is, I, yeah, I yeah. can't remember what his fucking name is, but um, the Alec Baldwin guy. Alec Baldwin. Yeah, it yeah. is Alec Baldwin. So Alec Baldwin's character is the guy that comes in and really starts saying, in the fifth one, yeah. look, it's not that he's a double agent; it's that he's <laughs> not operating in a way that's acceptable in a government force. So he's a rogue agent. We got to bring him in. Right. right. And we got to stop him. So that's the theme in the first or in the middle four is that he's not a double agent. He's just not, he's not, it, it, we're not like this. He's, right. he's operating beyond what he's supposed to be doing. And yet four movies worth of missions, <laughs> they're okay with his MO. Yeah. And then every, <laughs> every fucking time they're like, this can never happen again. They just got a new HR guy who's like, hold on, he's doing what? Yeah. And he's, there's just such <laughs> high turnover in the staff retention team that they just like forget. And they're like, oh, there's this guy, Ethan Hunt. Um, Oh, we'll save it for next meeting. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and then, yeah, like it's fucked. Anyway, yeah. so so the point of all of that is that Solomon Lane is a much more interesting character. So he's the main threat dude. Yeah, and he's much more interesting if you've if you're aware of what his role was in the previous film. So right. I'm sorry you missed out on that. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so I mean, that's the one thing I felt like I was missing out on, having not seen any of the other intervening Mission Impossible films. I think. I really enjoyed the sixth one. I fucking loved it. One of the most exciting action movies I've seen in a while. And I feel like the only thing that I was missing out on was every now and then they would make reference to some character's motivation based on past events, or they might have sort of been referencing a bit of character development that I know I might have missed. Yeah, so I one mean, thing so, that you wouldn't expect from yeah. the series is is consistency across different entries <laughs> in, the, in the sequels. Well, yeah, so I mean, all I they, mean is yeah. that like, I, I didn't... I. I was skeptical to go and watch it because I just thought oh, I can't be fucked to catch up on five movies and I was worried they wouldn't be able to stand alone. And I yeah. feel like in the most part it definitely oh, does do. stand alone. Yeah. It's just that every now and then, I mean, by fact by virtue of the fact that like Simon Pegg's character, for example, has been in what, like three or four of these movies now. Yeah. It'd be a bit ordinary if there wasn't a bit of development and changing their relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like Tom Cruise's character had a wife that's now an ex wife in this movie. <laughs> yeah, film. so the emotional There's... significance of that is kind of lost on you. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. I could totally get it. It's just that they were and every like, now and then. Like, I think the Solomon biggest. Solomon Lane is the evilest man on the planet. You're not going to be like, why? Yeah, exactly. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like there's some stuff. Film, okay. wait, exactly. He's the bad dude. I just like find a ticket yeah. wait for it. So what um, they actually do with him, interestingly enough, because yeah. I think he's the most interesting example of that. Yeah, is that they turn him into this Hannibal Lecter-esque character, where 
if he wants something done, that's yeah. what's going to happen. And it doesn't fucking matter what you want or what you try to do to stop him from getting that. He will achieve and that. And he has thing. this giant like Machiavellian yeah, plan that means it's going to happen. And 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 a Machiavellian support network <laughs> of friends and the family. Less, the lesser known secret of Machiavelli, him, his support they network. constantly tell him that what he's doing is worthwhile <laughs> and that his place in the universe is is, is meaningful um, and that it's all, it's all for a purpose, you know? And his, his Machiavellian marriage therapist. <laughs> <laughs> and his Machiavellian child support officer as well. <laughs> his Machiavellian expensive scientifically tuned pet food. <laughs> This Machiavellian suburban nightmare. <laughs> so, <laughs> Machiavellian uh, suburban nightmare is the name of my prog rock band. Absolutely. Fuck yes. Oh. Fuck yes. That's actually <laughs> maybe the best one I've ever come up with. Because I do those bits a lot. Yeah. Um, that's good shit. Okay. Oh. Noted. Taken down for later. As yeah, a review, so I, feel, I feel like Mission Impossible, this most recent one, Fallout, has... Number six has been a, a bit of a feature of the last couple episodes of Beef Station because we were talking about Henry Cavill's moustache. Oh, shit. And so the thing that I was most interested yes, in finding out becomes reality. when I went in was whether this multi-million dollar moustache was like character-breaking or not. Like, maybe there would have been a sequence where Tom Cruise is falling out of a plane and he saves his own life by the grabbing onto Henry Cavill's... straight razor. <laughs> like, quick, grab my moustache! Or whatever. Um... I feel like I would bloody love this <laughs> scene where two characters are hanging over the edge of a cliff, and instead of grabbing their foot or their sleeve, they grab their fucking mustache, and they're yeah. just gonna be like, "I'll, I'll cut you in, don't let go, don't let go." Oh. If only Rose had been car- hanging on to Leo's mustache, <laughs> Titanic would have been there a different There was enough story. room on that mustache for both of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. still never seen Titanic. It's good. I don't think that the mustache was worth the millions of dollars that they no, put into it. No, it's not the mustache itself. It's what the mustache represents, oh, which is different no, industries' I... interests. <laughs> obviously, I was just the whole time I was staring at the mustache, be like, not worth it, not worth it, not worth I it. I think it's fucking hysterical <laughs> that one man's face and. Like maybe a hundred hairs on it could be so fucking valuable. I think it could just as easily have had a monocle or a leather jacket, and we would have got the well, idea. To be honest, okay, and like again, mild spoiler alert. Yeah. They do a lot of that latex face <laughs> mask swapping shit in this film, right? How That's integral? Another... So, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. How integral was it that <laughs> that really that Henry Cavill had a mustache? <laughs> and B, yeah, couldn't they have just said, oh, "I shaved his mustache." Like, that would have been fucking weird, but it would have been way less weird than photoshopping I mean, Superman's upper lip yeah, I mean, for, like, about a billion yeah, I mean, dollars worth of screen time. <laughs> that assumes, one, that they shoot, they shoot the Mission Impossible chronologically, so there's a definite point in the film at which he yeah, no longer has a okay. mustache. You're like, oh, you shot the mustache. Oh, you grew a mustache again. Yeah, we've had a seven-week break, or whatever it is. Um... <laughs> And like, secondly, uh, yeah. Why I mean, are you remarking on that? It's weird that you would remark on that. <laughs> These films go into a lot of detail to point out that Tom Cruise does his own stunts, and the only benefit of that is that you can have some stunt, some shots, for example, where like you can go out of your way to show his face when he's riding on the motorbike yeah. instead of just Hint, cutting around. Top it. of building, Tom Cruise <laughs> breaks exactly. his ankle, like they do in every other film. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I definitely get that. Like from a realism point of view, it's just easier to just have him. Like it's like, no, we we he's shooting out of him now. He's a fucking mustache. Fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> he's keeping the mustache. But yeah, like, exactly. 
No, whatever. I didn't think it was worth it. Um, the general so point... So for those of you who don't know, and yeah. we, we mentioned it before, yeah, it's because Henry Cavill was also shooting Superman and Superman doesn't have a moustache. And so... They, like, finished shooting whatever Superman movie he was doing. He started doing Mission Impossible. There was Impossible. something catastrophic. They had to they do reshoots to for Superman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so go they, back and they, listen they, to they badly CGI'd his yeah. moustache. So I think in episode, the end of episode, our in Bruges episode, episode 12, we talk about it in the news segments. I feel like we've talked about it in maybe three or four episodes. Catch up. There were news segments that we dedicated to it. Anyway. I thought this film was fantastic. Yeah, it was really good. And I think that a lot of the plots in these films aren't distinct enough mm. to really talk about. Yep. But suspiciously, the plot of this film as well involves uh, Tom Cruise having to prove his innocence, Tom wow. Cruise having to go on some <laughs> sort of heist. Um, a lot of very similar bits. I thought... The There's most... also th- this is the first yeah. movie in the series that's done a lot of direct shout-outs to the first one. Right, so well, that's a question I had, yeah. is that, because I thought it was really cool, the silicon mask shit, but yeah. that was also in the first one. It's was, also is in, that like in all the of them? second, third, and fifth, yeah. So they just worked out how to <laughs> yeah. CG the silicon mask thing and Honestly, just use it in every film? Uh, in watching them really rapidly, because if Do you, you have any them, right to be surprised by the time of the fifth one? If you them as a normal human being, <laughs> they were six years apart, or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're like, oh yeah, they did that thing. I watched them two hours apart, and right. I was like, oh my god, yeah, he's wearing a fucking mask. So every <laughs> single time you see someone behaving vaguely suspiciously, you're like, silicon mask, every Every time the bad guy is in a situation that's like inescapable, I'm like, mm. oh, it's a good guy in a mask. And then it is. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Or, they do the like, mask thing. There's an interrogation bit where they get a bad guy to uh, reveal some sort of unbelievable piece of information that he yeah. never would. And all the all the walls like, drop down and it was that? all a yeah. set and it was all on a soundstage yeah. and they faked it. That's what I say. Okay. So the, the, that's what I say. So the, the, <laughs> that's what I mean. So the, um, the first... <laughs> Leave all that in. <laughs> so, um, this is the, the the first and the sixth are the only ones that do that walls dropping away shit. Right, okay. So I thought, I like, think, does this happen in every fucking no, movie so now? That, right. the, the, the latex mask shit does, and it's, yeah. it gets so much better as it goes along. The right. first ones are fucking pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was actually pretty and good they, in the first one. They changed the way that it's... it's. This was a weird little quirk, but you could see in like the evolution of the films that they changed the machine that makes the masks <laughs> to look more and more futuristic. No one's going to believe this machine can make these masks. No, and, and it goes from being like a some chemical vat thing to like a 3D printer because those, yeah. those got invented. But yeah, it's, fun. <laughs> it's watch the evolution of the mask making machines. That's fucking funny. I don't think I will. But fair enough. <laughs> um, and look, can't fault you for that. But um, the walls falling away shit yeah. and like getting them to reveal something. And it's that, all like an actors yeah. and stuff. Because yeah. that happens maybe halfway through the sixth one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's one of the, it's the big got ya, spoiler alert, at the end of the first one, that's yeah. how they do it. I think it's um, no, I think it's near the beginning of the first one, but whatever. Um, you maybe you've, right. You've got yourself right. a big oh, Mission no, no, Impossible no, no. fucking it, it, haze. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a Mission Impossible fugue state. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just it's, it's motorcycles. Nothing, nothing's impossible. <laughs> There's a deadly virus. Oh, that's another one that what Mission Impossible Two the get the big threat is like a biohazard <laughs> virus of the flu that's gonna like infect everyone on the planet yeah. oh and it takes place another thing about Mission Impossible 2 is it's oh all God. it takes place and it's all shot in Sydney so like they open ah. with a big shot of the opera house and shit so that, oh. that, seriously everyone go and watch Mission Impossible 2 <laughs> and tell me what you think because I think it might be the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life and I was oh, like man. they even do like an outback chase scene maybe <laughs> I'm not selling this enough there's a, luxury, <laughs> there's a luxury car outback chase scene. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. Seriously, 
Go watch Mission Impossible 2, all of our viewers, go watch Mission Impossible 2, and then write to us telling us what you thought. Tom, Tom, Tom Cruise goes and buys a Bloomin' Onion from the Outback Steakhouse, takes a big bite out of it, and winks straight down the barrel of the I would be camera. surprised if there wasn't a Dundee joke. <laughs> fucking for real. Like, there's even a dude fucking who I don't hell. think is Australian doing an atrocious Outback Australian <laughs> accent. It's There's every part of it. Anyway, oh. um, so, yeah, the 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 biohazard, I can't remember why I went on that massive <laughs> tangent again, because yeah. of my passion for the series, yeah. but... The Mission Impossible 6, the idea is that there are these plutonium cores yep. that the terrorist group in this film needs for their like portable nuclear, nuclear bombs. Bomb. Yeah. Uh, and so the idea is that the villains are trying to catch, uh, are trying to steal these plutonium cores. They need all three of them. Tom Cruise might have one, and he's trying to get the other ones before... Yep. The terrorist groups get the set, then they can plant their bombs and explode whatever the fuck they want to explode. And the way that, you know, characterization is done in these films is that early on they have the opportunity to capture them and he chooses his friends over yeah. the bombs. <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, that's it shows that Tom Cruise is actually a human being, which, you know, yeah. not true. But there's a couple of... So, I feel like I was bored in the first one. I was never bored in Mission Impossible You don't 6. have a, it. It doesn't give you a chance action to Action to action to action, but also it doesn't feel like it's just mindless. It's... Honestly, like a really, it feels like a complex yeah. plot that They've has some intelligent stuff going really, on. Really it's like there's a whole story that happens within 45 minutes, yep. and then that leads on to another whole story that yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. So there's like three kind of plot arcs in yep. the film. There are some parts where I found myself being like, uh, and like some of the, just some of the shit involving helicopters. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I, I've uh, got a little list here of some of the interesting facts about the stunts in this film. Oh, okay. Um, well, I was just going to say, there are some parts where I was like turning my face up at the screen, just being like, what the fuck? That wouldn't yeah. happen. Other than that, uh, the the plot was definitely the best of any Mission Impossible film. And right. It, things made sense. Things happened for a reason. It was cohesive and, and it generally just pretty great. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, so here's, here's the first thing. So Tom Cruise famously does all his own stunts. Yeah. So, for example, that skydiving scene, there's a scene where Henry Cavill's character and Tom Cruise's character... Fuck, that was intense. ...jump out of a plane from, like, 25,000 feet. It goes feet. For like, three minutes or something. Yeah. It's a so big fucking scene. 20, 25,000 feet, and they have, like, full-body pressure suits and helmets and everything, and they have to, like, jump and Oxygen land... Oxygen tubes, because they can't breathe Yeah, like, there, land yeah. on this big, like, uh, the big famous building in Paris. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Tom Cruise, the big famous building in Paris. It, it, it's it's not whatever the it's fuck not it one is. It's I don't not like the Arc Triomphe or the thing. It's, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, yeah, whatever. It's not two of the yeah exactly the, the buildings you think of when I say big famous building yeah. in Paris. Yeah, exactly. The, the point is, Landon's big building. Um, so that shot was done by with the camera guy, Henry Cavill's stunt double, and then actually Tom Cruise doing all of the skydiving. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. Henry Cavill. Fucking <laughs> um, no, you just get to preserve his mustache. If he, if he yeah. actually jumped it with his I'll let Henry Cavill skydive, but there's no fucking way I'm letting his upper lip <laughs> in a plane. So here's something I thought that was interesting. So we said before, oh, well, maybe uh, doing if he does his own stunts, it gives you the freedom to shoot however you want. But yep. the director in this little interview I was reading here says several times because Tom Cruise is doing his own stunts, they try and deliberately go out of their way to show you. That, that it's, he, Tom, it's Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. So there's this motorcycle chase through Paris where it's actually Tom Cruise doing all of the motorcycle driving. Which is fucking incredible if you it's watch this like movie he, because yeah. they do some seriously insane So shit. sometimes the way they do this is they have some stuff on a rig and they might CG it in or it's like the motorcycle is actually strapped to a car in front. It, no, it's yeah. Tom Cruise actually riding actually this motorcycle through motorcycle. the streets of Paris yeah. along cobblestones and wet roads often it's over insane. 100 the miles per hour. The motorcycle chase scene. The, the, like you think chase scene, you think, oh yeah, what are they yeah. going to do for a chase scene but one one genuine advantage of capitalism is that it's forced <laughs> action movie chase scenes to always be better than the last oh that's fantastic and, and you know they have 
absolutely smashed it. Tom it's Cruise the best chase scene, I is reckon, ever. Fifty-six. Yeah, that's fucking fifty-six crazy. years old. Yeah. So he's a, so so that that was the first one. Is that that motorcycle chase scene? It's actually Tom him. Is fifty-six inches tall. <laughs> also, probably true. Um, <laughs> it's him actually driving <laughs> the whole time. How many meters is that? The skydiving thing. So it's a three-minute scene, and it looks like it's all one take. Right. So that it's actually three scene. minutes. This is what I was just about. It's to say. actually three shots. It's a skydive that takes place at dusk. Right. And in whatever country they were filming in, where it was like a legal gray area <laughs> that let them film, yeah, um, they had three minutes of daylight that were correct for that scene every day. Awesome. And so they had to so do. They did it three times. So they did rehearsals and actual jumps that they filmed. Maybe five. They did. If you take into account all of the rehearsal jumps leading up to the three minutes of light, and then all the times they shot it, they did one hundred and six. Holy jumps. fuck. Yeah. They jumped out of a plane 106 times. 106 jumps. Oh my God. And then they God. got three usable shots that they stitched together to look like one take, and that's what that was. And like, holy shit. If you yeah. haven't seen this movie yet, you won't quite know what we're talking about. But if you have, you'd understand. Like, these, the the, the segment from where they're jumping out of a plane to where they hit yeah. the ground is basically seamlessly cut together. Yeah. So you, it never turns away. You're watching Tom Cruise experience... Fucked shit. And so here's another the thing about that skydiving time. scene, right? Oh my god! I, we said before that That's they, insane. yeah. So we said before, they, so he tried to go out of his way. So for example, there are some shots in the motorcycle scene where they really fucking get in on his face, and they said like the camera would have been like a foot away from Tom yeah, Cruise's yeah, yeah, face, yeah, yeah. show it's him. And so if if he'd fucked up, he would have just gone straight through the barrel of the camera. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So in this, they had to they had to produce, get safety certification for, so basically invent the. Uh, skydiving helmet, which yeah. never existed before. Got, like, a heads up All the skydiving air tanks and everything Jesus. that they needed custom, so that you could like see it was Tom Cruise for whatever reason. So maybe it was like the visor that had to be clear, and then the oh right, so they needed their face to not be obscured. Yeah, which right. Ordinarily so all be, that yeah. gear that you need to show that it's Tom Cruise right, so you had to be actually, actually fabricated, and it's shit. actually skydived because oh it was actually God. Tom Cruise, the fifty-six-year-old band, skydiving one hundred and six times in usable futuristic equipment. Right. Um, Fucking hell. The foot chase, this is foot chase, is kind of a parkour kind of thing across rooftops, rooftops in yeah. Paris. Tom Cruise, while shooting that scene, tries to jump across a building and in real life fucks up the jump and hits his, his foot hard against the edge of a building and broke his ankle. Yeah. He actually broke his ankle. Yeah. And that shot is he in like the movie. Away from so the you shot. see Tom Cruise go, ah! And then he keeps running out of the out of frame on a broken ankle. The, yeah, the whole film I was looking for this, and I assume they cut away straight after yeah. he did the thing. They don't. They you don't. See you him see him like limp away. Tom Cruise had to have eight weeks of recovery, during which time the whole production was shut down, Fucking and they had fancy. to pay eighty million dollars to all the cast and crew to keep them on retainer, so they wouldn't go to another job <laughs> while Tom Cruise was just in hospital. Um, That's why people don't let people do their own stunts, is because yeah. you can swap in another stunt guy, but if the actual star breaks their ankle, it costs you eighty million dollars. Yeah. Um, the helicopter. Oh there's this huge helicopter chase scene where Tom Cruise is chasing someone in a helicopter. Tom Cruise. So it takes three months of pilot training to get a license to fly that helicopter. You're gonna fucking tell me that he actually did that. Tom Cruise actually flew that helicopter. Oh my he God. trained. He trained 16 hours a day every day for six weeks oh so that he could God. get his pilot's license to I fly that, that helicopter. That was the thing that couldn't have been no. real. So he he trained 16 hours a day for every day for six fucking weeks hell. to get the training done in half. Half the time, they said that like they measure the distance between helicopters in like rotor widths, and that sometimes, um, like he would be like 
within one rotor width of like that's like probably the, ma- three the mountain or four meters or the other helicopter. That's fucking insane. It's ridiculous. So I imagine this guy's I mean, he's not a helicopter pilot. He's an actor. Yeah, he's meant to be able to imitate yeah. helicopter. So pilots. I mean, I haven't read the whole article, but so I imagine at, at the bare minimum, the times where you see Tom Cruise in the helicopter, he's flying it for at least some of the shots, which is amazing. That's in, that's still is, incredible. Yeah, you're right. The fact that he could keep a helicopter in the air without just having it flip over yeah. on the landing pad. Is so he's un- actually fucking believable. Fucking flying it. Helicopter, which that alone has his like fucking respect. So like people Tom say, Cruise like, is not a human. He's oh. actually legitimately a demon. So but yeah. So holy fuck! So you get if you've got actors, that much money, yeah. and you're that committed. It's that's ridiculous. Amazing. So you get all these actors that are like, oh, the highest paid actors paid this much, and you're like, why? I fucking understand. If Tom Cruise In is prepared to case, yeah. get six hours of sleep every night for six weeks, so that he can train flying helicopters for sixteen hours every single day yeah. for six weeks, fucking give him the money he wants. I mean, I'd do that. <laughs> oh man! I but get... I don't have enough money to get people to let me do that. <laughs> so, absolutely incredible. Yeah, that's I that's think... genuinely crazy. And like, regardless, yeah. I, I'm I'm usually one to not distance someone's beliefs from their artistry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But holy fuck, you gotta just recognize how much work and time. Yeah, exactly. An incredible achievement. When is that? Because like yeah. one of the th- one of the crowning. What, uh, this is. Um, and so that's why I mean, like when they're like, "Oh, can you get Henry Cavill to shave his mustache and just see it in?" That's why I understand Henry the director being. To learn how to fucking yeah. fly exactly. That's why I understand the studio being like, "Ah, uh, no, we just paid for six weeks of accelerated program fucking helicopter <laughs> yeah. training for this motherfucker. He's having a real mustache. How about you pay for a <laughs> fake fucking upper lip, you dickheads?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh my god, that's that's fucking crazy. Fucking astounding. That is absolutely. That um, having been said, all of what you just said is Tom Cruise. Henry Cavill could have been in bed for all, of it, <laughs> and it wouldn't have fucking made any difference. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think oh, we've been we've god. been going for quite a bit about Mission Impossible for both of them. I yeah. think we could probably just say it's safe to say. Mission Impossible Fallout, as personally speaking, as someone who'd never seen any of them, you can go see it and not miss out on anything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go see it. It's fantastic. In the um, same way as like a James Bond movie, you can jump in on James Bond fucking 24 and not really worry. I think, don't worry. You'd love it. Yeah. And I think it's... Knowing what I know now, I would love to go back and watch it and just even just have a little subtitle that has at the bottom like this bit's actually Tom, this bit's actually Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like a di- like a director's commentary. Yeah. yeah, that would be cool as. Yeah. Speaking, there, which which of the six, if someone didn't want to have to fucking watch all of them, which of the six Mission Impossible movies would you recommend they go watch? Which ones are worth it? Is it just three, four, five, six? Absolutely, don't watch two. Okay. Well, it sounds um, like pr- maybe even don't watch one. Like. You're not missing out on I much, wish I hadn't watched one. I, watching I really much, didn't You're see not one. missing out on much character development. The only yeah. reason one is good is because it's iconic. I think if it's even the and 90s, it would have been good. Really, the only reason one is good is because of the dropping down in the uh, shaft scene. Yeah. Other than that, there's really nothing memorable in that entire fucking movie. Right. Um, go and watch a James Bond movie instead. Because <laughs> they're, they're genuinely better for that sort of shit. What, what Mission Impossible was going for. But what they don't do is all of the stuff that we were just talking about. Yeah, where, exactly. Like, Daniel Craig learns how to put a helicopter in his dick. Like, yeah. Oh, it was just such a spectacular. It was fucking. It, movie. There were points where it was implausibly spectacular, where yeah. the shit that they were doing was so. It was so. It was like, I believe what I just saw, but I'm aware that that would never happen. That that was what made it really enjoyable to watch. Because normally I don't buy into the whole like action movie premise, and I'm not particularly convinced. I'm like, they're not taking any wind resistance into account. Yeah. It's fucking ridiculous, and that makes me a sad person, and I acknowledge that. <laughs> but this movie was genuinely incredible, fucking amazing, and it was too complicated for me to be able to point out like 
physical inaccuracies. Yeah. It was like, it doesn't matter. How would you know what it's like if a helicopter gets propelled by an explosion? So like you don't. Yeah. I was worried that these movies would be kind of trashy. I thought that Mission Impossible Fallout not trashy. was as good as the best James Bond movie. And honestly, if you because one of the things that Mission Impossible does really well and they've only embraced it is yeah. humor. The first two are humorless. They, they I was really, yeah, it was fucking boring. Yeah, I was really they, they're really by that. not interesting at all. And Simon Pegg and Ving Rhames do a lot of that heavy lifting because mm. um, you know uh, Tom Cruise is not the most charismatic fella, and he never really responds particularly well to humor. Sometimes he'll get it right, but yeah. Ving Rhames and um, Simon Pegg they've been in it from the third film onwards, and you can tell why they keep it, them. Every single I I had kind of forgotten this because I haven't watched the series in ages, and yeah. I assumed I knew four, five, and six were pretty good when they changed the naming protocol. Yeah, um, <laughs> but three as well. They're all worth watching. Actually, worth watching. They're all genuinely good action movies. You mean three, four, five, six. Three, four, five, yeah. and six. All of them. Yeah. Except for two. Probably. Yeah. You can skip one. Fuck one. It's old. Yeah. But. Uh, the last four Mission Impossible films are genuinely enjoyable action movies that I unironically found really great. I was so surprised. And I would watch them again. I would highly recommend that you, Oscar, go back and watch the <laughs> the, the previous three because yeah. you'll enjoy it. I probably will. And I'm yeah. definitely going to watch the next one. If, if I make another one, I'll definitely it watch it. It made me one. also... They, they were good enough movies that I was like, I'm going to binge watch the Bourne films. Yeah. Have you not seen the Bourne films? I've watched them all. I They're think, really But, but I'm going to go back and watch it. They are definitely as good as the Bourne films. I've yeah, seen exactly. both. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Right. I think that makes it... Really good. I think that about ties it up for Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chat today. Yeah. Man, what a surprise. We've always co- we've covered the whole series pretty well. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's your concise beef That's station guide to Mission Impossible. You, the listener. <laughs> um, I will put myself through upwards of 15 hours <laughs> of impossible footage. <laughs> right. I've got to hit straight into the news. Should we hit it with oh, the yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Hit it with Sounds the theme music? This just in. Beef station, beef bulletin. First cab off the rank, we got some <laughs> James Bond 25 news. <laughs> Danny Boyle was apparently uh, locked in as the director for the new James Bond film, which oh, yeah, is okay. famously starring Daniel Rad- uh, Daniel Craig, even though he said he <laughs> Daniel <would> Radcliffe? <laughs> Fuck, that'd be good. So, so Daniel Craig was famously sick of playing James Bond and said he would rather slit his wrists than be James Bond again. He's confirmed his podcast in the next one. Yeah, he was one. probably in a bad place until they offered him approximately $2 <laughs> trillion dollars for yeah. this role, and he thought, hmm... Maybe I should exactly. reconsider. Um, so Dan- Danny Boyle, director of Train Spotting, Twenty Eight Days Later, Slumdog Millionaire, Trance, amongst other films. Those first three, fucking great. Right, he was going to be the director oh, yeah. for James Bond Twenty Five. Right. Cutting to the chase, he's now he's parted right. from the film due to like creative Fuck. differences. Um, oh, that means he, it was shit. He would often work with his like writing partner. So yeah. um, the guy who wrote. Trance and Train Spotting and Train Spotting Two. John you know, Hodge, that, that guy that writes really great movies. He wrote um, James Bond, the new James Bond film as well. Or he started to write the script for it. You're getting there's, my hopes up. There's now speculate. Also, the the story is that Danny Boyle has exited as the director of the 25th Bond movie. There's now speculation as to whether they're going to keep that script or whether maybe oh, it wasn't exactly throw it in the trash and burn They it. might rework it. But oh. the film, the new James Bond film <laughs> comes out uh, November 8th, 2019, according to their current schedule. Great. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I think... Jeez, it's been a while. People forget Spectre came out 20... That was the most recent film with Christoph Waltz as the villain and I didn't really think it was very good. And no, Skyfall wasn't very well was great. Spectre Skyfall was, was good. Right. So those are both Sam Mendes films. The director. Okay. This is gonna. This, so this is a new director that's coming onto the scene. Yeah, yeah, I'll be yeah. interested to see who they get for it. Um, but yeah, that was that was the story I've got there. I, I, that that reeks of me, and I don't know anything. 
to Danny Boyle wanting to make a good movie, him having a good script, yeah. and the producers stepping in and just being like, this won't sell in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, I think the problem and is we don't know. I mean, the, the other big like creative differences film story like this that I remember in the last year or so is Edgar Wright parting ways from the Ant-Man film. Yeah. Because that was apparently his dream project and he left on creative differences, always fired on creative. And so I think that's pro- that's definitely a case of like, he probably wanted to do something weird and out there and really cool for yeah. it and they didn't want to. Yeah, um, yeah so well, that's- which is crazy because like he, he makes movies in the... In the, the Appropriate the style of a comic book. Like, yeah, but it's like, fucking insane. I and mean, then we see like to- so to- Scott Pilgrim. I think both of us really like the Pilgrim yeah, yeah, film. Yeah. That famously. And if if you don't like the storyline, because yeah. some people have issues with it, but the editing and the production it mimics a comic book in a way but that you just can't do elsewise. S- Scott Pilgrim, amazing. which is one of my favorite movies, famously didn't do very well at the box office. Yeah. Wasn't. Yeah. I mean, if you look yeah. at the scores on Rotten Tomatoes and uh, Metacritic and that, not that super well reviewed. Yeah. So even though I think it's crazy that that's the case, yeah, I think you can definitely to, as see like to Marvel movies, which normally I mean, but you can definitely see like on paper Marvel movies make billions of dollars. If they're like, right, why would we yeah, get you to do you this and make all so these weird safe. choices? They're so exactly. risk averse. Fuck them. Next story: John Hamm and Ed Harris have been added to a Top Gun sequel that is in the works. I didn't even this. Oh yeah, is the, no, I've talked about they've that on the news. Of course you have. Yeah, so they, so they've confirmed uh, Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise who are coming back. If they need a Top Gun sequel, of course yep. I now remember because we've got Miles Teller that's been cast. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. So this new story Miles is that getting, one of my favorite actors. He's great. Just they're getting amazing. Uh, go and watch Whiplash if you haven't seen Whiplash it. Whiplash is good. Seriously, if you've never seen it, don't watch any of the movies we've ever told you to do. <laughs> go and watch Whiplash. That's yeah. fucking incredible. Um, John Jack Hamm of Mad Men and Ed Harris, who is most recently the man in the, the black bad guy hat from uh, Westworld. Westworld. Yeah. So that's the next story there. Okay, that's actually cool. That's shaping up to be interesting. I feel like I need to watch the first one. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really good. Um, I've like repeatedly heard who dies in that movie because I know it's a pretty important characters. <laughs> yeah. And then it's I've like, never Goose! I've never Goose paid dies. enough attention. Fuck, I was just about to say I've never paid enough attention to it to remember who dies. Sorry, <laughs> right, we'll cut that out. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> of your memory. Brain. I'm genuinely angry about that. <laughs> Man, I'm sorry. Uh, next thing, I think we we were toying with maybe going to see Crazy Rich Asians for next week's yeah, episode. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That is right at the top of the US box office charts at the moment. Yeah, I it read It's thrown some... out The Meg, which was previously oh. top spot. Which the looks... Meg was at any point top spot? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, me- the, the Meg, Meg was the famously, Meg was top. sorry for those who don't know, a movie about a megalodon, which is a giant shark. So <laughs> I just thought th- the next story the I had shittiest Jaws reboot. <laughs> the next story I had was a review for the Meg, the headline of which is the Meg violates the first rule of shark movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bite. <laughs> What's the first rule of shark movies? Doesn't have any blood or gore in the whole movie, pretty much. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> so there's, the review says here, like, in the most unpredictable uh, spin on Jaws ever, the Meg is just Jaws but with a bigger shark. And the studio wanted to get them to, like, appropriate it for, like, a, like, family-friendly audience. Yeah, they so needed an like, M rating because they make more money. So there's, like, very, there's very little horror or blood or gore yeah, in the film. And then the reviewer said that, in his opinion, like, one of the most exciting, horrific scenes in the whole film is the poster for the film. <laughs> oh. So like, oh my god! Spoilt that as well. Um, the point is that Crazy Rotations, which is really exciting for like diversity, and it's a, it looks like a hilarious. I, I read a really heartwarming well. Twitter thread of someone who was a, a Chinese that they were from a Chinese background that immigrated yeah. to a country, and they said it was one of the they cried in the session because it was one of the most one of the proudest 
experiences of their entire life to be Chinese. The director... Really incredible. Yeah, the director seems to have done a really great job with it. I think I saw a story this week uh, that he wanted to get Coldplay to allow him to use the song Yellow in the film. <laughs> and Coldplay said, oh, no, because they were worried that like <laughs> it would have something... He's like, no, no, it's cool, we know. And so that was the whole point. So there's like a Mandarin cover of Yellow in oh, the fuck, film. that's interesting. Yeah. In some, I, I imagine some kind of like love scene or whatever. That would have been, you know how the, the the meme about yellow is that like the lyrics don't they fucking don't know mean, mean anything. Yeah, I think yeah. Oasis Wouldn't also. Would it be great to be translating <laughs> that and just be like, I don't know if I'm getting the translation <laughs> right, man. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. You're like, no, no. If it makes sense, it's wrong. Well, <laughs> so the Beatles in their early career oh did some German covers of their early pop hits. Yeah. So there's like, I want to hold your hand. They did like, yeah. come give me a diner hunt and all nice. this sort of stuff. And the lyrics don't. They're not exactly the translated lyrics. Come they're like, give me your hand. They're like similarly exactly. They're like similarly poetic kind of lyrics. Like yeah. there's a whole verse in "Come Give Me a Donut Hunt" about diamonds and shit. So like, sorry, which one? I want to hold your hand. Oh, <laughs> thanks, boy. So yeah, I mean, what what I'm saying is, uh, you're showing your ignorance there. They could probably just transliterate the lyrics from <laughs> "Yellow" into Mandarin, and then it would make perfect sense and it'd be equally as poetic. You're right, so, and, yeah. and cultural barriers would be broken down. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, um, super keen to see that and uh, Black Klansman. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, in a lot of these stories so far, have been pretty related. There's a new Simon Pegg, Nick Frost horror comedy coming out oh, soon. Oh, but speaking of related stories, sorry, I'm just going to interject. Yeah, yeah, there. Yep. I had a fucking surreal experience because I, I listen to a bunch of different podcasts. Um, one of them is Little Dum Dum Club and yeah. another one is Chapo Trap House. Yeah. And they talked on both of those about Mission Impossible in is the it? last episode. Oh, really? Yeah. There, there was an Ethan Hunt name riff in yeah, one of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they talked about Mission Impossible in the other <laughs> one. And I was just like, is my mind going? Am I going fucking crazy? Like, am I just blurring the lines of reality? Like, were we supposed to do a totally different episode and I watched five Mission Impossible movies and now I've gone insane? Yeah, definitely, yes. Yeah. Um, so this is a new Nick Frost, Simon Pegg film. They've started up their own... Uh, production company. There's a new one. Okay, stolen right. picture. Yeah, so cool. it's not an Edgar Wright no, no, Canetto no, 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 trilogy no. one, but it's got those two in it. As Who well as wrote Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead? I think they all kind of did. I think it was because I want to know because End of the World, which is the yeah. third one of the Canetto trilogy, wasn't great. I don't think it was. I think they all kind of collaboratively wrote them. Definitely for Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. Because I want another one of those too. Um, so this new one isn't written by the same guys. Okay. It's written by some other guy and directed right. by some other guy. But it looks exciting. Okay. It's called Slaughterhouse Rules. It looks to be about some sort of strange boarding school where this sort of portal opens up or whatever. A bit worried um, about Simon Pegg and Nick Frost being in a movie about boarding schools, but uh, yeah, I mean, go ahead. there's a trailer that I haven't watched, but I, I imagine it's <laughs> there's sort of teachers or something. Um, yep. It says like a cross between like Buffy and Shaun of the Dead kind of stuff. Yeah, um, um, comes I, out. I would bloody love it. Comes out October this year in the UK. It's called Slaughterhouse cool. okay, Rules. Cool. 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 Very exciting. I love most of the stuff. Yeah, I, had a good I really time hope it's stuff. great because I was yeah. very disappointed by the last one, but I exactly. grew up on the other so two. I'd be so. interested to see whether those other two have the magic they do because of the director and the writer. Yeah, and uh, you know, Edgar Wright's movies are, are great independently. Exactly. So it just feels like, the end of the world, it feels like maybe they had to do a third one and they were just out of ideas. Maybe. So yeah. hopefully they've taken a break and done yeah, some other shit. Maybe. Yeah, cool. Um, so that's cool. that. Uh, nice little bit there. Here's a bit of Academy Awards news. ABC in America, so uh -oh. like the American <laughs> Broadcasting Company or whatever it is, um, weren't very happy with the poor ratings that the, the most recent... Company, yeah. 
yeah. yeah. yeah. The, 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 the most recent Academy Awards got last year, there was the lowest rated Academy Awards telecast ever. So this one is going to be, it's going to be cut down in time to three hours, which is still fucking long, which means they're going to be putting some yeah. more of the awards that are usually broadcast during the commercial breaks. The story here is that in addition to not televising all of the awards live anymore, what they're also going to do is add another award Another Academy Award, which isn't unprecedented. There's been plenty of Academy Awards yeah, that have been added fine. in the past. It's lots of um, uh, lots of <laughs> outstanding achievement in popular film, which is going to be credited probably what? as being nicknamed the the Popcorn Oscar. Aren't they all the Popcorn Oscar? Well, I feel like there's definitely a bit of artistic merit in m- many of the Academy Awards in that there's a best cin- there's a great I'm best cinema face right there's now. a best cinematography Oscar that um, yeah, old mate one for best DP and Blade shit. Runner yeah. all that those yeah, right. are all the ones that are going to be in the commercial breaks by the way probably yeah like um, absolutely get fucked can I can I watch a version of the Oscars that's only the ones that they snub yeah if the popular film get, award get likely to be nicknamed fucked the Academy. If the popular film award likely to be nicknamed the Popcorn Oscar is implemented in time for the 91st Oscars, there is little doubt that ratings would improve since blockbusters like Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Deadpool 2, Mission Impossible Fallout, and Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, and their fan favorite stars will, gar- will be guaranteed a presence at the ceremony. And they say here that it's, it would be possible for a film to win both Outstanding Achievement in Popular Film and Academy Award for Best Picture. But I suppose yeah. it means that's not the sort of award. They haven't explained whether it's going to be like an audience choice thing or whether it's going to be like based perhaps on films that are higher up in the box office or what. Yeah. New award coming in for the Oscars. Okay, sure. I hate everything. And the most important news of the week oh boy. is the weekly Beef Station update on the progress of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Fuck yes. What's in which going on here? Jim Carrey, in a big, long interview about all sorts of part in his career, has given one little nugget of wisdom. <laughs> yeah. is that, so we, we famously found out last week that Sonic the Hedgehog is going to be a voiced animated character. Jim Carrey in, says... In a live-action movie. Yeah, Jim Carrey says his Dr. Robotnik char- uh, character will be live-action. Fuck! <laughs> it's gonna be Jim Carrey, Is Sonic the Riddler the style. Going to I imagine be the only animated character. Uh, we have no more details. Oh my god! <laughs> I just want to go into a coma and be woken up the day this movie comes out. I don't want to experience anything else in my life. This is the thing that I feel like I'm looking forward to the most. I'm so excited! Holy fuck! They're gonna it... make him look like Doctor Robotnik with like a fuck mustache He's and a shit. Egg. He's so thin. Dr. Robotnik, (laughs) the point of Dr. Robotnik is that he's like, he's shaped literally like an egg. His name is Dr. Eggman. Jim Carrey is a tall, thin Canadian dude. If if they were going to do, and this is we've been three seconds of thought, they could have got Danny DeVito to play Eggman, and that would make a lot more sense. Wouldn't that be better? No, he's not tall enough. Um, a quick little whistle towards some other stories I didn't get time to. Yeah, when- Danny DeVito played the penguin. That's basically an understudy for <laughs> Dr. Eggman. What the fuck? Wait, wh- what is happening in this movie? <laughs> I'm so excited, dude. It's gonna I'm be so the, it's excited. it's gonna be either the most artistic thing that's ever produced or the literally the worst movie. I hope ever. that we continue to get like it's gonna rival the room. <laughs> oh yeah. I can t- I hope that we continue to get one sentence fragments of news about this for yeah. next year. And they're they're signing like the most strict NDAs. <laughs> and they're they're like, if you tell anyone anything about this. That be... interview with Jim Carrey was a lot of really thoughtful stuff on his part about all sorts of other shit that we've totally skimmed over. About Eggman. And then like one little thing at the end. Yeah. yeah um, God. Wes Anderson's next film is already sort of 
in the works and we don't know very much about it other than the fact that it's going to be perhaps every shot in the film will be 100% asymmetrical it's going to be a musical set in France Oh fuck! Okay, which is a new maybe thing for Wes Anderson. Rouge, maybe which is a brand new thing for Wes Anderson, and also sounds like the most Wes Anderson shit ever. Yeah, <laughs> so, so I don't go. know because his films are already like kind of camp enough. Like, yeah, n- a musical might be a bit too on yeah. the nose. And we'll see. Finally, and I maybe think this poor is gonna... choice Wes Anderson. If you're listening, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> we have, uh, rethought it. Yeah, uh, and I think this is probably going to close out, close out our rumor mill discussions on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Uh-oh. James Gunn. It was said that they're going to be using his script, which he finished and completed, which right. is nice. But he had a meeting with some higher up, big cheese at Disney, and it's been confirmed that he is definitely not going to return as the director. Fuck. Which is a shame. Because the whole cast came out in support of him. Yeah. And, and there like, was there was a, an online petition, not yeah, that, that makes a difference, but like 400,000 support from understanding there. people just being like, look, this guy's human. He was making jokes in poor taste. Like, we yeah, understand. Exactly. And the people that have put him down aren't particularly, you know, upstanding people. So, yeah, yeah. that sucks, man. Yeah, exactly. And one, one fun little story to end it all is that the director, oh, fuck. David Robert Mitchell, who... <laughs> to end it all... <laughs> <laughs> so, get your Kool-Aid cups at the ready, you listeners. Yeah, Cthulhu's coming out um, of the screen after this one. David Robert Mitchell, director of It Follows, oh, has yeah, okay. announced that the his next film <laughs> is going to be an adaptation of the short film They Hear It. <laughs> so, <laughs> apparently, so no one guy, has explained to him. This guy exclusively, <laughs> exclusively accepts scripts that are written in German that have one-word <laughs> titles and need to be translated to English <laughs> where we don't use the same casing. They're like, like, what's the translation for this? Oh, it's followeth, but really we don't have that, so it's going to be it follows. <laughs> hey, David, you know you don't have to make a film where you explicitly explain the premise of the film within the title. It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> It's gonna be, is it, film after that's going to be It Hides in Dark Closets <laughs> She's in love with him But he's not really into it <laughs> yeah, his, oh. his sixth film Met in a restaurant <laughs> oh. Alright all right. Yeah. It's all done uh, That's it for episode oh, 13 of Beef Station for this cool, week. Cool, cool. Thanks for joining us after our brief hiatus. Stay tuned next week for what is probably going to be our coverage of Crazy Rich Asians, which I'm yeah, excited for. I don't know when for. it comes out. I think it is already out. I think we'll be fine. Okay, great. Um, so we need to see Clansman as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and exactly. if you've got um, a way that I can watch uh, Sorry to Bother You, please send it in. There you go. Um, because I am super fucking keen to see that movie. And yeah. apparently... Um, so, friend of the show, Pat, who's featured um <laughs> has put up a uh a, a petition to get petition that. to get it moved here um and we're hoping to get as many signatures for that as possible so go we'll check share out. it on our facebook page yep. have a look at that uh, yep. um because i'm super fucking keen to watch it and the reasons why they're not bringing it here are like racially insensitive yeah, right. so um we should definitely as a as a as australian film lovers band together to try and get that shit here because uh, i think it'll be pretty cool we'll get our best beef boys on it Seriously, that looks like a really good film, and I'll find a way to watch it. Um, so related, yes. That's it. As a, as a final closer, we've gotten some great suggestions for films. Thank you very much to tre- oh, yeah, Treasured like Listener Anna for a huge list of yeah, uh, films you, that are going to keep us busy. In, holy shit, I think yeah. that for the moment, I didn't realize there's a whole bunch of great films coming out at the box office that we're both real excited to see. Yeah, well, we so we're gonna. To, I reckon we should try and do one week, one week. Yeah, so I think I want to get some new films 
and see some new films, which is exciting yep. as they come out. But whenever we don't necessarily have a film that we want to see at the box office, we're going to mm. go straight off the shelf and go straight to those listener suggestions and get one in. We'll try and mix yours around in there. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. thanks to Callum and James for our suggestion last week. Yeah. Stay tuned next week. I've been Oscar. Have a good week. Just stay